All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12 today. And so last week we kind of introduced and started 1 Peter, and we looked at really this idea um, that Peter says that he's writing to the exiles. And so he's not just talking about physical exiles, physical being drawn out and rejected by their homeland, but he's talking about the state of the believer. That when we believe in Jesus, when we accept him as our Savior, we become exiles in the here and now. Um, So I talked about the old hymn, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And so when we become believers, we understand that we've been redeemed, we've been bought back from the enemy, but in some circumstances we can look at it that we're still in enemy territory. Um, So we are elect exiles of the dispersion, is the way Peter put it. So we are chosen by God, we are uh, exiles, so we're in a place that's not our home, and at times we feel dispersed from those around us that are, are like us, that are believers like us. And so that was the state of the church that Peter was writing to. Um, that They felt very uh, dispersed. They felt very alone. They felt exiled at times. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about the time that Peter's writing is they were all first-generation Christians. You know, first or second generation, little, little Christians. There wasn't any of this, well, I'm a Christian because my grandmother's grandmother, grandmother, we can trace it back. They were all new. They were all leaving lives of either um, polytheistic uh, beliefs, some of they worshipped multiple gods, or they were leaving the Jewish faith. And so they were, in a sense, all of them were leaving something they'd known their entire lives, that their whole family was connected to, to follow Jesus. So they were very much exiles. And so as we look at this, I think what the whole letter of Peter we talked about is really going to speak to that idea of elect exiles who are dispersed, that we still have a hope, we still have room for joy, we still have room for hope no matter what comes against us, no matter at the times that we may feel alone, that we have reason for hope and joy in Christ. And so that's really what the whole letter is going to deal with. And so kind of uh, today we're going to look at this is a continuation of that initial thought where Peter's really looking at this idea of what comes with faith. And so what we're going to talk about today is there's a, there's a chain of events that happens um, that need to stay connected. And if they get disconnected, we have problems in our walk and we'll have problems standing up to anything that comes against us. Right? And so the, the, that chain of events is we have faith, salvation, joy. All right? So we have faith in Jesus that leads to our salvation, and that salvation produces joy. So faith, salvation, joy. So if you uh, are looking at your life and you lack joy, then you need to follow the chain back down. You need to go, okay, am I putting my hope in salvation? Do I actually have faith in that happening? So if I, I'm having a lack of joy in my life, something's broken in that chain of events. All right, am I lacking faith? Well, then I need to go back and what is my faith in? What does faith mean? What, is, what does faith produce? And so the idea is we should be able to look at the fruit of our life, the fruit of the Spirit, and go, okay, if that's not existing, if that's not growing in my life, something's off, something's broken down the chain. So Peter writing to a group of believers um, that were in the process of feeling like exiles, you know, he's laying down that foundation right now of here's where you need to be grounded. Because when trials come, this grounding is going to help you. 
when you feel alone, this grounding is going to help you. When you feel like exiles, this grounding is going to help you. So that's really what we're going to look at today is those three things. So uh, starting in verse 6. So in this you rejoice. So he's just finished talking about the faith that they have in Jesus. So in this faith you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning uh, this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so a few things as we look at this. Um, first, uh, I really want to kind of, we're going to do this a little bit backwards so everything kind of lines up a little, a little neater, is I want to look at the end of this because uh, part of it is I want us to understand how precious that faith that we have is. And so we know from Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so that's a lot of what Peter's talking about is even though we don't see Jesus, we love him. All right. So even though he's not here with us now, even though I can't see him now, we believe in him, and that, that's, that's called faith. It's believing that Jesus is our Savior, that he died on the cross for us. So if we believe those things, then that's having faith in those things. And if we have faith in those things, then that saves us. That, that belief in us that leads us to action saves us, brings us into a relationship with God, and that relationship brings joy. And so I love the end of this where, where Peter's really backing up the faith that they have um, is the idea that this faith is something that was told about for generations and generations and generations and generations. That we can look back to the Old Testament. All right, so remember, we don't ignore the Old Testament. All right, we don't follow the Old Testament's rules because we're now under the new covenant. We're now under um, the new covenant of Christ's blood. And so, but we look back to the Old Testament and what the Old Testament is, um, isn't it? One, it's, it's kind of a revealing and an explanation of who God is and who Christ would be. So that as we look back at the Old Testament, we get more and more of the fullness of Christ revealed to us. So the idea is, as we read the Old Testament, what we should be doing is we should be looking for who God is and who Jesus is. So when I look back um, to the Passover feast... So I can look over to the story of the Passover in Egypt. And the story of the Passover is that the Israelites were enslaved by Egyptians. And so God sent ten plagues. And the final plague, so that Pharaoh would release the Israelites, was that he would kill the firstborn of everybody. Livestock, people, everything. But to protect the Israelites, they would take the blood of a spotless lamb and they would spread it over their doorpost. And so that reveals to us 
That's the prototype of Jesus. So Jesus would come as the spotless lamb and his blood uh, right, would, would mark us as God's children all right, and would save us, would uh, drive us out of slavery to sin into righteousness, into Jesus. So we can look at the Old Testament and we see Jesus revealed. So often, I've heard it said that if we look at you know, David and Goliath, you know, we can get through that, hey, it's good to have faith in God, it's good to believe in him. But also we understand that, that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our David against the Goliath of sin. And so as we look at the Old Testament, it reveals to us Jesus and God. And so as we look at that revealing, the other thing it does is it's almost a proof of faith for Jesus. So if you look at the book of Matthew, so we just got finished, you know, like four months going through um, part of the book of Matthew. But the book of Matthew um, was written um, so that um, the Israelites who were in the Pharisee Sanhedrin court would, would understand and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So if you look through the book of Matthew, almost two to three times per page, you'll see it was done to fulfill what was written, or this fulfilled the prophets. And so the whole book was written to see, see everything the prophets said, Jesus meets, Jesus fulfills, Jesus completes. And so we have this history. We have this history of prophets uh, being the mouthpiece of God as they've revealed to us pieces of what Jesus would be like and what he would accomplish when he came. So Peter's saying is we don't, we don't have blind faith, but as we have faith that leads to salvation and salvation that leads to joy, we have a firm footing for our faith because even everything the prophets spoke of, to some extent he's saying wasn't for their benefit but was for yours, was for my benefit. So that as we look back at the Old Testament leading to the New, it becomes clear as we look at the story of Jesus that he is the fulfillment of God's promises. And so if God fulfilled his promises through Jesus to the Israelites, then we have faith, one, that Jesus is the Messiah, and two, that God is faithful. So God will fulfill his promises to us in Jesus. Right, so we can see that, that if God promises that he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, if he promises to forgive my sins, if he promises to give me the Holy Spirit, if he promises to sit at the right hand of God and speak on my behalf, then I can have faith, I can have belief in those promises. Because the idea with faith is a lot of times we'll say, well, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. You know, James says, says this, you, you, have, you have faith, Right? You tell me about your faith, but I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because the true measure of faith is not just what we say, but true faith leads to action. So I've said it before, but you had faith that your chair would hold you up or you wouldn't have sat down. How do I know you had faith in your chair? Because you're all sitting. Right? If you were standing around going, yeah, I have faith in that chair, I'd be like, yeah, sure you do. You know, like, you, don't, you don't seem like you do. Uh, you, you're saying it, but show me. You know, sit down. <laughs> My parents have some, some antique chairs in their house that I won't sit in because I don't have faith in those chairs. So I'm not, I'm not going to test them out. Uh, I'm fairly certain I would, uh, you know, I would break them. And so faith leads to act, true faith, authentic faith leads to action. All right, so when we say we have belief, that, that's why we looked at the, the passage, passage a couple months ago of Matthew 7, that there'll be those that go to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do all these amazing things? And Jesus will say, 
I never knew you. Be gone from me. And so there's the idea that we can say we believe in Jesus, but not believe in Jesus. Scripture makes that plain. So how do we know if our faith is authentic? Well, if it leads us into action, we have authentic faith. If it begins to change the way we act, if it changes who we are, if we have the fruit of the Spirit. That's why Scripture says that we can judge a tree by its fruit. And so genuine faith leads to action. But I love that Peter's pointing out that we have faith that's not, not without merit, not without foundation, because we have the whole history of the prophets that were speaking. All right, it was revealed to the verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this. I love that if you look kind of the two biggest movers and shakers in the Old Testament uh, were the prophets and the angels. So if God was going to get something done, most of the time he was working through a prophet um, or he, he was sending messengers, angels to come and speak to the people. So Peter addresses both of these things here. He says, the prophet spoke on your behalf. And I love the little tagline at the end. He says, preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So angels, which the Old Testament you know, kind of just like, man, they're awesome. They, they show up and scare everybody and they do crazy things. You know, Peter's saying that even the angels long to look into the salvation that we carry. All right, so the faith and salvation we have is not normal. All right, it's not ordinary. All right, it's miraculous. And so, so many times we're looking for the miraculous, we're looking for the spectacular we're looking for the big show of things. We're looking for the, the miracle. Uh, and I don't know if it's frustrating to God, but sometimes it's frustrating to me when it's like, oh, we already have in our grasp, inside of us, moving through us in, in our stated faith, we already have the biggest miracle of all. Salvation is the biggest miracle of all. The thing that prophets have foretold for centuries, the thing that angels long to look into um, man, we celebrate with a simple service sometimes. You know, so the most miraculous thing a church can do um, is share God, the gospel with people and baptize people. That's a miracle. That's the biggest miracle the church will ever see um, is the unbeliever coming to Christ. And sometimes we don't treat it that way. Sometimes we, we kind of ignore it or overlook it and we want the big show. But man, the thing that angels long to look into is not someone getting healed, is not someone getting delivered, is not uh, you know, any, any wondrous or great speaker, uh, any anointed person. The thing the angels long to look into is our salvation in Jesus. You know, that's, that's miraculous. So our faith is not without merit, but it has centuries and centuries and centuries of being spoken to that we can look through old to new, and we can see the continuation of the move of God in Jesus Christ. We can see the fulfillment of the prophets in the way he moves. So the outcome of our faith is salvation. Um, and so if we look at that, that first part and go back to, to look at that, so here's the, here's the big kicker, that, that our faith and joy are tied together. Faith and joy are tied together. So in this, in this salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you do not see Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what is the product of our faith? The product of our faith, the ultimate product of our faith is salvation. Now there's lots of byproducts to that that are that are good. So when we have faith, we rely and we lean on Jesus and he helps us through the day to day. But, uh, you know, we've talked about that pendulum swing. So I grew up in a church that really only focused on, you know, when we get to heaven, things will be awesome. I swung all the way to the other end of, no, we're supposed to make things awesome now. Uh, and I think sometimes we need to settle in the middle of, of, man, when we focus on one or the other, we miss out on the whole picture. So yes, things are awesome now, but we can't forget that this is but a brief moment, a flicker in all of eternity. In all of eternity, the goal of all eternity is that we have a relationship with God, that, we, that we're one with Him. That, that's the goal of eternity. So Ecclesiastes would say it, that we're like the dew on the grass. It says we're here in the morning and gone in the morning. We don't even get a day. All right? we, don't, we don't even get half a day. We're here and we're gone like that. Um, uh, I went to mow the, yesterday, and Michelle was like, well, wait a little bit later so the dew's gone. So I'm out there at like 9 o'clock. It's still a little dewy. By 9.15, 9.20, it's gone. All right, it's already gone. So it doesn't last long. So our life in the grand scheme of things is so minuscule. That, yeah, I, I want to see the kingdom of God move. I want to see people get saved. I want to see, I mean, I want to see people have a better life. I want to see them have, have joy and happiness. And so I believe that Christians were a big part of that. But we can't forget that this is, is but a blip. This is a speed bump uh, in all of eternity. And so when we think about joy, so many times we focus on the joy now. So, so we have joy you know, and these hardships, these hard times can't, can't take away our joy. And so we're, we're kind of looking at Jesus sometimes in the way we speak about joy, and we're looking in a very momentary aspect of our joy. And so sometimes I think we do gymnastics to try to go like, yeah, 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 you may say it sucks, but it's not really that bad. You know, and, and I think sometimes we just... When I look at the authors of Scripture, they're like, well, no, no, it's bad. It's really bad. It's just, it's bad. But, you know, but Jesus is still good and he's still for us and he's not going to leave us, even though it's bad. And so when we look at this, I want us to understand that salvation, that faith produces salvation. Salvation produces joy. Why does salvation produce joy? All right, because it helps our hope flourish. Because when we have faith that leads to salvation, all right, if I can believe in Jesus to save me so that I can spend eternity with him, it shouldn't be a big stretch to go, Jesus can help me get through today. All right, if I'm trusting Jesus with my eternity, Jesus can get me through this awkward situation. Jesus can get me through this hard time. Jesus can get me through this illness. That shouldn't be a big stretch. So sometimes... We, we say we have all this faith in, in Jesus to save us, so we're going, I trust God with my eternity. But this next hour, not, not so much. Uh, I, need to, I need to roll that back a little bit. 
Jesus, I trust you with eternity, but for the next hour, I think I'm going to try to drive the ship because I don't have, I don't have that kind of faith, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so we've got to understand that as we move in faith, faith that produces salvation, that should produce joy in our lives. So <laughs> what I want us to understand uh, is that joy is so essential um, to feeding and nourishment. So it's almost like joy is, you know, is the process of, of, of watering the vine. It keeps it alive. It keeps it moving. So if you have a joyless faith, my guess is pretty soon you're going to have a dead faith. Um, you're going to have a dried up faith. You're going to have a faith that the first kind of push against it is going to crumble. Uh, so we wonder why so many people, when they get hurt by church or they, you know, move out of their parents' house or they, you know, move away from a community they were tight with or something happens, why they so easily walk away. And it's because, well, one, their faith wasn't in salvation, wasn't in Jesus. It was in that person's circumstance you know, or simply they've stopped having joy in their faith. You know, they've, they've looked to other things to have joy in. And I know I'm guilty of that at times, that I look to other things for joy, for peace, for comfort, than to looking for my salvation in Jesus. And when I begin to walk down that road, all right, and I begin to go, okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's not a conscious thing. You're not walking around like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm thinking for now, for the next couple of months, I'll, I'll probably just trust my job, you know, and my paycheck for, for joy and happiness, you know, not Jesus, but I'm going to really trust him. But so we, we may not say that to ourselves, but when, how we act, how we move and where our concern lies, all right, remember your, your faith is proved by your actions. And so, so many times the focus and the effort we put into things, all right, shows where our faith really is. And so... So often that faith can become disconnected from our joy and our joy, then something's going to be feeding that joy. I mean, we're not, we are not designed to be depressed. Right? That, that is not our kind of base instinct as creatures. We want to experience joy. We want to experience happiness. We want to feel good. Right? That is kind of built into us as a pursuit of, of who we are. And so we will search that out. The problem is, is when we search that out in things that aren't Jesus, they can't sustain what we need. They can't give that level. They give that little hit, that little high, but then it's going to fall away. And when it falls away, then, oh, I'm feeling more drained before. And so uh, we have a chemical in our body that gives us that, that feeling called serotonin. Um, and so serotonin is that little happiness bump. So when I buy something on Amazon, I get that little hit of serotonin. It feels good feels good. When I get it in the mail, I feel even better. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and so we get that little serotonin bump. But the problem is when we keep looking for external things to make us happy other than Jesus, you know, we have to push it a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. Um, and then comes the crash. So then when things get removed for us, so I, I lose a job, um, uh, I lose a spouse, I, I have a problem at, you know, with a friend, and that gets severed, and I've pushed it, and I'm used to this high level of serotonin, and it just crashes. And so um, a lot of times this is what causes people to have, like, panic attacks. So when you go nonstop, 
You know, so if you work seven days a week, if you're just pushing, 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 all right, you train your body to continually extend serotonin and push and push and push and push. And so eventually you hit a level that can't be sustained and your body just crashes. All right, and that leads to, yeah, that leads to panic attacks. It leads to, um, man, heart attacks. It leads to depression, you know, because our bodies aren't designed to push serotonin that much constantly. But in the world that we live in, we try to. And so, so many times we have that crash and it shows us, okay, ah, man, it makes those that rest in the Lord will renew their strength. So those that wait in the Lord will renew their strength. And so when we, when we make Christ the center, life may be up and down, right? But it doesn't push us, doesn't move us around, doesn't, doesn't evaporate that joy that we have because it's secure in Christ. So faith, all right, leads to salvation. Salvation leads to joy. So why is this important? Why is this important? Well, because all of us will be tested. All of us will be tested. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what Peter's saying is, man, gold, all right, so gold is the be-all, end-all of Scripture. You know, they talk about gold all the time um, as the, the mark of um, worldly possession, basically. And so that's, that's the whole end of worldly gain kind of in there is gold. And so he's saying you could have everything, the, the thing that the world values more than anything, and if you put it in the fire it would eventually perish. It would eventually burn up. It would eventually melt and evaporate away. He said, but your faith, genuine faith, can be tested by the fire and it doesn't go away. All right? Genuine faith can be tested by the fire and it doesn't go away. So it is more precious than gold because that faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation in Jesus Christ. All right, so when we have that faith all right, that's been tested all right, and stand and be proved, so how do you know if your faith is genuine? All right, have your faith pushed around a little bit. Be in an uncomfortable situation. Have the bottom drop out. Have things that you thought were, were sure be yanked out from under you. All right, that's when you begin to realize where is my faith really lie. All right? And so, has, is my faith in a person? Is it in a situation? Is it in my comfort level? Is it in my income? Or is my faith really in Jesus and Jesus alone? All right? I will never stop telling you as a pastor, I will fail you. Multiple times, over and over and over again. All right? But Jesus will not fail you. People will hurt you. Situations will hurt you. Finances will hurt you. You yourself will hurt you. No one has been a greater detriment to my happiness than me. Um, I cannot be trusted with myself. <laughs> All right? Um, but the one person that has never failed me is Jesus. All right? So when I have my faith in him, right, that leads me to this tested genius of my faith that is so precious. All right, and verse 8 says, Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So you want to talk about miraculous. 
We want to talk about uh, just the amazing things of life. Uh, man, genuine faith is rejoiced about and produces glory. All right, so genuine faith is the miracle. So if we want to be prepared to be exiles, if we want to be prepared to be dispersed, to be on our own at times, if we want to be prepared to live in enemy territory, we cannot do it without having a tested, genuine faith. A, a faith that is secure in our salvation and a salvation that produces joy in our lives. So what do we do if we don't have joy? If we're struggling with that aspect of joy. Well, one, what is your faith in? If your faith is not in your salvation, right, then it will not produce a joy that can withstand testing, that can withstand the fire. All right, so if you don't have joy, then we need to track back and go, okay, what is my faith based on? What am I trusting in at this moment that I'm having a lack of joy in my life? Uh, two, understand that you may be dispersed, you may be isolated at times, but you are never alone. Amen. And so you need to understand that's, that's why we talk about the community of the church is so important. So if I'm feeling alone, all right, I, I, so many times we go like, well, you're not alone, don't feel that way. You know, like, okay, that helped me so much. I'll just tell myself not to feel this way. You know, and so a lot of times that doesn't make a big difference in our lives. And we just go, self, don't feel that way. And, and I think sometimes as a church, that's how we train people at. Well, Scripture says you shouldn't feel that way. So go and be merry. You know, but what we need to learn to do is we need to learn that when I feel that way, okay, I know I have a disconnect between my head and my heart. I know I have a disconnect between my head and how I feel. In my head, I know that's what Scripture says, but I don't feel that way. So what do I do? I press into the community of Christ that I'm around. So I reach out to my brothers and sisters in Christ and I come to church, you know, be involved. And so those things will start to, when I interact with brothers and sisters in Christ, the idea is they should lift me up, not tear me down. So if you're in a situation where brothers and sisters in Christ are tearing you down, that's not a situation you need to stay in. That's a situation that you can leave because the the idea of the church community is that we build one another up. Amen. All right. So as we measure our church communities, as we measure our communities of faith. Are they building us up or are they tearing us down? All right. So they should be building us up. And and then finally, and then finally, if I, I'm gonna, if I'm struggling with joy at the moment, all right. So I I need to question what my faith is in. I need to press into my faith community because their job is to, to build me up and that I need to remind myself of the promises and the faithfulness of God. All right, so a lot of times, like Jimmy said, when we get disconnected from the word, lots of things happen. If I stop reading about the promises of God, then I'm prone to forget the promises of God. If I stop reading the word of God, then I stop thinking about all the things that he's done and been faithful in, and I start doubting that in my life. So the word is a foundation, all right? Um, uh, I remember as a kid, we, we memorized the pledge to the Bible, and it was a, um, a light in my path, the idea that it's, it's a foundational thing for me that helps show me the way. And so when we, get, when we get away from that, when we get away from remembering how faithful God has been, then we can begin to question that, uh, and it creates separation. And separation creates disconnectedness, and disconnectedness leaves us on our own. So, 
Um, so that's my challenge, especially as we continue through the book of 1 Peter, is that we're always going, okay, when we face these trials, when Peter starts talking about hardships and hard times, remember that the one stand against the trials and the hardships is a genuine faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Uh, God, we just thank you that you love us. Father, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled, we could be united with you. So Father, I thank you for that salvation that we have um, that is just more precious than gold. Uh, Father, I just thank you for the joy that it produces, the joy that we have here uh, in our, our little community of believers, Father. I just pray that you would help that joy grow. Uh, help us lean on one another and lift one another up. Uh, Father, I thank you uh, for a church that, that builds me up, that holds me up. So, Father, I just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, remember men's meeting Tuesday at 7.